ultimately how much you charge comes down so little to your experience and your skill set and so much to your self-worth. If you haven't done the work mentally on yourself to know that you own that figure, you inhabit that figure, then your clients will pick up on that. You have to believe in what you're asking for. Welcome to Smart Habits for Translators, a podcast for translators by translators, bringing you simple strategies to build better habits. In each episode, we'll focus on specific habits for translators in various stages of their careers. If you're a translator who enjoys learning about habits to improve your business and lifestyle, then this is the podcast for you. We're your hosts, Madalena Sanchez-Zampalo and Veronica Demichelis. Like you, we are professional freelance translators trying to balance the challenges that come with building a career and maintaining clarity and boundaries between work and personal life. We hope you'll join us in this conversation about smart habits and discover some simple strategies you can apply today to help you build your career and achieve the lifestyle you desire. Welcome to Smart Habits for Translators. This is episode 54. In today's episode, we wanted to talk about the importance of treating your translation or interpreting business as a business, in particular thinking as a business owner. This sounds like such a simple thing, but many freelancers fail to do this and think of themselves as just freelancers, which can have a negative impact on your interactions with clients, your pricing, and many other elements of your business. We've talked about this in many of our previous episodes, but today we've invited a special guest to join us with this conversation. We're excited to welcome Sarah Townsend to the podcast. As a freelance copywriter for more than 20 years, Sarah helps purpose-led businesses discover the power of persuasive copy. In 2020, she published Survival Skills for Freelancers to help business owners around the globe tackle the day-to-day challenges of self-employment. Described as better than a business coach, The Amazon number one bestseller busts the myths about being your own boss to help you ace self-employment without burnout. It distills 20 years of experience plus quotes from over 100 freelancers into 200 unputdownable pages. Since then, Sarah has combined her copywriting work with delivering mentoring, training, and events to help the self-employed community tackle the ups and downs of freelance life. Welcome to Smart Habits for Translators, Sarah. Oh, thank you for having me on. It's lovely to talk to you. Yes, welcome, Sarah. We know many of our colleagues enjoyed your book, and so did we. So we are very happy that you could join us today. Oh, that's great. So let's jump right in. Please tell us about your freelance business, what services you offer, when and how did you start your career, and how has it evolved over time? Gosh, that's a big question. (laughs) Yeah. So yes, as you already said, I've been a freelance marketing copywriter for 20 odd years, and as a copywriter, I help businesses to communicate the things that make them special and make them different. And um, I predominantly do that now through, I used to do all sorts of copywriting, but I now prefer to focus on web copy. And um, yeah, really just helping businesses to become more successful and to grow and to attract more clients with um, clever copywriting. So um, yes, that's on the one side. And um the other side is really has really evolved since I um, launched my 
book, Survival Skills for Freelancers, last year. And yeah, that's that's really kind of turned my world upside down quite a bit in terms of how my business has evolved. I just thought I'd write a book. I wanted to write a book mm-hmm. just to help people, to support people through my advice. And I wanted to um, just, well, I just assumed that I would write the book and then go back to the day <laughs> job. And it's just not happened at all. I've, I've ended up, I am still doing the copywriting, obviously, for a limited number wow. of clients. But I have also sort of turned into a bit of a small business cheerleader. I'm doing mentoring, training, workshops, webinars, and over 50 podcast interviews in the past year. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. That's wonderful. Um, What are some smart habits that have been crucial in your career um, that you think maybe are related to work, physical and mental health, relationships or anything else? The smart habits, they've really evolved over the years and they're things that I really was not especially good at to begin with, particularly around the issue of boundaries, which I think is something that is so important for freelancers in the small business and self-employed community. Mm. And yeah, so really things, some real specific things, I guess, would be things like um, using um, time blocking to manage my time and my schedule. Mm. So if you can work around when you know you're at your most productive. So if you have particularly good times in the day that you know you're going to do your best translation work, for example, then block that time out and try not to let anybody kind of book calls during that time. Then if you have times of day that you know that you're slightly less productive, perhaps um, you need a bit of energizing and you are somebody who gets your energy from being around people so sometimes zoom calls can give us that kind of um that feeling and that that lift in our day and that break in our day so um bear in mind when you are at your best your most productive and kind of use that knowledge to design your day So yes, things like that in terms of your time management. I use the Pomodoro technique, which I may well come on and talk about a little later with one of your later questions. But that is a uh, time management tool which works by breaking your day down into manageable chunks of time. I don't know if you've come across it. And basically the idea is that you switch off all your notifications. So switch off distractions on your phone, let the answer phone, get your phone calls mm-hmm. if, if you um, have a call in the middle of what you're doing and um, make sure that your phone is perhaps on do not disturb and then you focus exclusively on the task in hand for 25 minutes, you set a timer and when the 25 minutes is up you take a 5 minute break and that's kind of a break, this is your opportunity to get up away from your desk, stretch out, do some, um, perhaps go downstairs, stick the kettle on, dance around your kitchen as if no <laughs> one's watching, hopefully nobody is. Um, and it's a great opportunity to just kind of shake out your muscles rather than just staying hunched over a laptop all day long, which is something that we're all inclined to do from time to time when we're super busy. It's um, also a good idea to think about starting to use an email autoresponder, perhaps as a matter of course, rather than just when you have holidays and time out the office. And actually to say, I mean, mine says something like, thanks for getting in touch. I check my emails just a couple of times a day so I can focus on writing copy for my clients. I'll get back to you soon. Mm -hmm. 
And what that does is it gives your clients the indication that you've safely received their email. So they know it's not gone to junk. They know that you will be slightly delayed getting back to them, but you're also managing their expectations not to expect an instant response. It's freeing you up time and headspace to focus on the task in hand. But also on top of that, it is giving them a secret signal that when you're doing translation or interpreting for that client, you are also going to be giving that work your full attention. You're not going to be distracted by other clients all the time. So I could just talk all day about this sort of Mm. thing, but I'm guessing you'd probably like to ask other questions. Yeah, those are great, great tips. And I am familiar with the Pomodoro method. It's funny because I've used it a few times, um, but I always forget about it. And then when somebody says it, I'm like, of course, I need to go back to doing that. It really is a great way to focus. And I mean, 25 minutes doesn't feel as daunting as something like three hours, right? So... Absolutely. And I think it's based on the principle that we can all focus for 25 minutes at a time. Mm -hmm. Um, Another thing that I do when I do the Pomodoro technique, I mean, I don't use it all the time, but if I have a deadline and I have a particular thing to write, so say I'm working on a website project, Mm -hmm. I will... I, I know that I get I get so into what I'm doing that I will get hyper-focused and I will forget to take breaks, I'll forget to eat, I'll forget oh, to yeah. get up, I'll forget to exercise. So I use it in those times. And another thing that I find a lot of freelancers struggle with is when you're working from home, what are you supposed to do about the, the daily, the household chores, the washing, the dishwasher, whatever? So I actually mm. quite often recommend if you use your five minute Pomodoro breaks, when you're waiting for the kettle to boil, stick on a wash, empty the dishwasher, wipe around the kitchen, give the downstairs Mm -hmm. a hoover or something like that, a vacuum cleaner, I think. (laughs) Someone said the other day, oh, we don't call it that in in the US. Um, So yeah, I mean, that's quite a nice way of eating away at those daily chores that you really have to do every day. And it stops you from finishing work and having this big pile of things that you have to get on with. It's just quite a nice way of getting a bit of balance into your day. That's really awesome. Yeah, that's a great tip. And I also really like your tip about the auto response. I think that's a, a nice um, signal to send to your clients saying, hey, I when I'm working, I'm working on, on important things like your work too. So yeah, exactly. Yeah. So we really enjoyed reading your book, um, Survival Skills for Freelancers, and we know that many other translators find the tips that you share in this book helpful as well. Uh, But your book wasn't written specifically for our field of work, so why do you think you found such a receptive audience among freelance translators and interpreters? I would love to know. So if any of your listeners are, <laughs> are in the position having read it, I get so many fantastic emails from translators and interpreters and they always seem to be such a strong community that mm-hmm. so just such lovely people. I would say more so than any other um, niche, I guess, or sector or whatever you want to call it. Mm-hmm. I get a lot of freelance copywriters, obviously, because that's what I do, copywriters and editors. But aside from that, it is by far the biggest section of my audience. And and that goes for people all around the world. I mean, perhaps because you are based globally, and the book does sell, I think it's sold in 
at least 14 countries that I know of. Mm-hmm. I would say that um, certainly doing some work with the ITI has really helped. I've done a number of events with them. I've actually got a, an event coming up in January that's specifically a webinar about imposter syndrome, mm. which is something that we can all relate to, I think, from time to time at least. So... Yeah. Yeah, I I don't know. It it's really struck a chord with with your community, and I I'm really delighted to hear from people who've read it and who have found it. It's really resonated with them. It's great to hear. Great, yeah. I know that it has, and um, I recommended your book as well to other translators. In fact, one of them contacted me after I posted that on Twitter, and she said, "Hey, um, will you send me your copy now that you're done with it?" <gasps> So we're passing it back and forth, you know, the two of us. But anyway, um, so you kind of segued well into our next question with mentioning imposter syndrome. I'm not sure if this is one of them, but what are the top three things that you think freelancers usually struggle with? Narrowing down to the top three things I always find difficult because mm. of the fact that the book highlights eight things, which I think are the eight biggest issues that freelancers struggle with but Mm -hmm. I think for me there are three that just have the edge in terms of just how common they are and um, how big they are as issues and and those are imposter syndrome and self-doubt so that's I'm classing Mm -hmm. that as one thing the Mm -hmm. uh, isolation and the lack of connection that can sometimes come from specifically if you're working at home on your own And thirdly, the lack of boundaries, which we are not always that great. And the reason I say that is because that was probably my biggest challenge for the first, mm, I'm pulling a face here, 12, 15 years of being freelance. Mm -hmm. And it it caused Mm -hmm. me a lot of problems in my personal life. It caused me a lot of problems in my career. I just didn't know when to say no to work. I didn't know that I could Mm. say no. It never occurred to me that I could actually think of saying to a client, do you know what, you're not actually the right, this this piece of work is not actually the right fit for me and where I see my business going. It's okay to say that. And I like how the how those three things, the solution, I guess, to those three things is so closely linked because when you have the community and the network and the connections that help you deal with the isolation of freelance life, knowing those people also helps you indirectly to say no to the wrong work. Mm. And it helps you say no to the wrong work because you know the people who have different complementary skills and strengths and experience that perhaps is just a little more relevant to that client than the experience that you have and Mm -hmm. that enables you to say quite often well I don't think this work is quite right or I don't think I'm quite the right person for this piece of work at this time however would you like me to introduce you to a trusted colleague who I think may be a better fit and that enables you to walk away from that situation with your head held high no lack of loss of confidence or integrity you're still helping the client out with their problem and still solving that issue for them so that's yeah it's kind of a nice side effect of um of having the community and the connections around you 
Yeah, I couldn't agree more. And、uh, we often talk with Madalena on our podcast about collaboration being、uh, the key, really.、Yeah. It's,、uh, it makes us all so much stronger、um, than competition does. I love a big, juicy, nice project, but I also love the days when I can refer clients like, with great、yeah. projects to my colleagues. It makes me feel so good. Yeah, for sure. And it really seems that、um, it's also、uh, one of the key elements of thinking as a business owner, which we notice many freelancers have trouble doing.、Um, And not many freelancers have formal training or experience running a business. So,、mm. how can we educate ourselves to、um, have the mindset of a business owner and think that way? Aside from investing in a copy of Survival <laughs> Skills for Freelancers, you、right. mean? <laughs>、um, I, I would say, yeah, this is, a, this is a really huge issue because. From my own perspective, when I first started as a freelancer, I was working full time in an agency, magazine publishing agency, and I loved my job. And then I became pregnant, and I had no idea that I was going to go freelance. It was never on the, it was never part of the, the, the life plan or the game plan. And my boss at the time suggested I went freelance, and I thought, oh, okay, that's fine. I, I was doing editing and proofreading at the time. And I knew that that was, I guess, my sort of superpower. So I knew that I would be good at doing the work side of things. And I also thought that I had the right qualities to be a successful freelancer because I'm naturally very driven. I'm, I tend to be very organized, although not always. And、um, I'm very self motivated. So I figured that I was going to be great at being a freelancer. But I did do that thing that you. Implied in your intro of, oh, I'm just a freelancer. So I saw what I was doing as exchanging time for money, and that was it. And it really caught me out very quickly that I'd get to the end. I mean, for starters, I was working part time because I had my baby in nursery, my baby who's now 22, in nursery just a couple of days a week. And I just wanted、mm-hmm. to work as she grew up, going through school, going through primary school, and then having my son. I wanted my business to grow around there, but I didn't see it as a business. I just saw it as me doing a bit of work on the side. And I quickly realized that I'd get to the end of every. Working week, even though that was only two or three days at a time. And whereas I thought I would be spending seven or eight hours a day editing, I'd maybe only been able to spend three or four hours a day editing. And the rest of the time was doing the admin,、mm. the marketing, the accounts, trying to fix my own computer, <laughs> trying, to, <laughs> trying to drum up business and get clients in the first place. So Yeah, I, it, it, it took me by surprise just how much of the business end of freelance life there is. And we all can relate to the fact that we feel that we have to wear a lot of hats, don't we, as freelancers? We are juggling all these skills. And、yeah. that's something that I talk a lot about in the book that when you get to the stage in your business that you have the financial means and You feel independent enough and, and secure enough with the clients that you have on a regular basis to actually start thinking, right, I'm going to start putting some money back into my business. And that's when you start thinking about can I outsource some of these tasks? Because when you spend so much time doing tasks that A, you don't enjoy, 
B, you know you're not good at, and C, that don't make you money critically, you can quite often Mm -hmm. get to the end of the week and realise that, oh, you know, I've actually spent hardly any time doing the work that I love and so much time doing the stuff that I'm actually really rubbish at. And it's really easy to kind of let that have a knock-on negative effect on your self-esteem, your self-worth, how you feel about your job, the enjoyment that you're getting from self-employment. So the sooner you can sit and write a list of all the tasks that you do in a a regular week, Um, as far as there is a regular week as a freelancer, there isn't really, is there? But the regular tasks that you do that aren't your core activity Mm. and rate those according to how much you uh, really dislike doing them and how difficult you find them. And those are the things, the things Mm. that score highly are the tasks that you want to think about outsourcing um I think I've gone a little off piste here haven't I you were talking about (laughs) business mindset well it's it's all related yeah it is all related you know it's completely related we um we just had a a virtual business retreat at the time we're recording this we had it a couple of days ago and all these themes came up so yeah it's exactly right and I think that's part of the reason that your work carries over to our um you know, professions mm. as translators and interpreters Brilliant. very well too. Yeah. I think it can help to have a business role model as well. I think, I mean, I guess a, a lot of the, the translation and interpreting community look up to you guys because you're, you're such great sources of trusted advice and information. And I think anybody who's listening to podcasts, reading books, um, listening to audio books, joining online networking events, or even maybe in some cases in person networking events now, it's a good idea to kind of follow someone who you know is doing this stuff really well and and see how they do things and keep an eye on their social media posts. And yeah, I think that can really help as well. Yeah, we often talk about the importance of uh, looking up to colleagues who lift you up, who inspire you uh, yeah. to do better, to, you know adopt new habits, um, who share tips that you find helpful rather than um, kind of getting into the mode of, you know, complaining and sulking and just feeling miserable Mm. or like feeling self-doubt or that you're Mm. not good enough. Yeah. So uh, that's really important. Well, the exercise of auditing uh, where your time goes is also important for uh, freelancers because it helps them realize, you know, as you said, where your time goes, meaning how your pricing mm. should reflect that. Mm-hmm. So let's talk about that for a little bit because we often hear, I'm sure like you do as well, that many freelancers struggle with pricing their work, yeah. especially when they work with their first clients or start working in a new niche. So what tips do you have for valuing yourself and your expertise and charging appropriately? This is such a big question, isn't it? It's it, it's something that mm-hmm. really does impact a lot of people. And I think ultimately how much you charge comes down so little to your experience and your skill set and so much to your self-worth if you don't believe isn't that fascinating (laughs) you would think it'd be the opposite I think most people just that's why it's so hard they think it's the opposite yes yeah I I agree Mm -hmm. and I, I think the more 
you talk about pricing and the more you sort of normalize discussions about money I think certainly a lot of us are brought up that I talk quite openly and candidly in the book about my own money mindset and the way that I was brought up we didn't have a lot of money when Mm. I was growing up and had sort of hand-me-down clothes and handmade toys and this sort of thing so money to me grew to Mm -hmm represent security I've been a single parent for 13 years of my 22 years self-employment and for me the Mm -hmm. first however many years were totally focused on I must earn x to provide this sense of security and safety for my children and I've got Mm -hmm. past that now and I'm really happy to to be in that position and and not a day goes by that I don't feel grateful for that because the 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 um the start that I had in life was was not comfortable financially at all so I think that I I had a lot of neurosis I guess around discussing money and and there's there's a lot of you feel sometimes as if you're trapped like that expression a rock and a hard place on the one on the one Mm -hmm. hand you might worry that you don't want to charge too much because then people will think, oh, who does she think she is? And then you don't want to charge too little because (laughs) people might think, well, he can't be that good. So it's something about getting (laughs) a a happy medium, a balance between those two, isn't it? And I find Mm -hmm. the more, I mean, one of the, the, the tips that I share in the book is to actually just normalize these conversations if you've got a trusted friend particularly someone who does the same job as you and who can really you can both benefit from this exercise if this is the case I do this a lot I have a a whatsapp group with six or seven copywriter friends who we all knew one another very vaguely at the start of lockdown but we'd all Mm -hmm. met for a Christmas meal and when lockdown happened I actually suggested that we started having weekly calls just for morale really and it stuck and we're still doing it and we've got this whatsapp group and now if someone says oh how much would you charge for writing a white paper on such and such how much do you charge for writing a five-page website we're completely open and it's something that Mm. was completely new to me say even a year from a year ago um I wouldn't have been as open about what I charge for things but now I think my confidence level has grown through seeing just how many thousands of people that the book has supported and now I'm starting to think oh I probably do need to value myself a little bit more highly than I was doing before so I think by normalizing it and and having these conversations and almost when you pick a figure for starters, don't get me started on the day rate, hourly rate versus um, value-based pricing. I think it's slightly different in in your industry, mm-hmm. isn't it? it I is. think yeah. I talk a lot about um, moving to a value-based charging model, but I don't think that really applies in translation. But it should. <laughs> yeah, it, it does. It, it actually, it does. Should. But very few does people it? are you're using it. Yes, it does. Mm. It does. Right. So, so it's so mm. it's progress is being made, but slowly. Then, yeah, yeah, it's much more slowly. <laughs> and I can t- speak to this a little bit because I do some copywriting as well. But it's the pricing the differences in, in talking about pricing and the differences in. Um, feeling like you can charge more are much more progressive for copywriters in general. I'm sort of making a general blanket statement, but truly they are. Um, And 
versus um, with, with in the field of translation, it's quite different actually. Um, some people have shifted to value-based pricing, but it, I know I can count them on like one hand, the people really? I know who also do it. And I, I charge value-based pricing as well, but um, like the day rates and stuff, that's very much the copywriting world. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, I, I, I'm trying to move people away from day rates, but the, the fact is that most people do still rely on a day a day rate or an hourly rate. I mean, mm-hmm. my heart always sinks when I get an email, a cold email from somebody I don't know saying, oh, hi, I've got some copywriting I'd like you to do. What's your day rate? I just think mm, instantly red flag. But at the same time, it's yeah. a question of our clients don't know any different. Mm-hmm. Because and we're teaching that to them. Yes. <laughs> yeah. So we have to teach them that there's so much more involved and there's so much more that I need to know before I can give you a quote for a piece of work. And if I go back and say, Mm -hmm. I'd like to um, schedule a 15 minute call just so that you can talk to me a little bit about what you're thinking, what you need, what your goals are, Mm -hmm. and um, then I can provide you with a cost. And if they don't come back to that email, then that's me eliminating the tire kickers. That for me is not a failure, that's a success. Mm -hmm. Because somebody who isn't prepared to work in the way that I work is not somebody who is going to be the right client for me so that's a bit of a side issue Mm -hmm. but I do think whatever whatever day rate you pick I mean let's just take a a figure out of the air so say you had a day rate of 500 pound or you were charging 400 pound and you wanted to put your rate up Mm -hmm. and you start saying to clients oh I charge 500 pound a day if you haven't done the work on your I know this sounds daft but if you haven't done the work mentally on yourself to know that you own that figure, you inhabit that figure, mm-hmm. and you've got the full confidence at saying, yes, this is my day rate, then your clients will pick up on that. They'll pick yes. up on the self-doubt. They'll pick up on it. If they can see you, they'll pick up on hesitation in your body language, facial expression, maybe mm-hmm. hesitation in your voice. They can even pick it up in emails, I swear. I don't know how, but it, it, it always works. So mm-hmm. you have to believe in what you're asking for. And it does take time. And sometimes it's baby steps, isn't it? The first time, when you put your rate up, the first time you tell a client your new and improved day rate, it's really nerve-wracking. Yeah. And you're putting yourself out there, and it's a very vulnerable position to be in. But... After the first time, it gets easier. It's like everything. There's always got to be a first time. And the first time for everything is always uncomfortable and difficult. But after that, it helps you grow in little steps, little incremental steps of confidence. Definitely. Yeah, because when you find one person who is willing to pay your rate, you know there are more people who will yes, too. Yes, for sure. Yeah. yeah. And, there, and there will always, this is also really important to mention, I think, there will always be people who say, oh, oh, you're a bit expensive, yep. but they're the wrong people. And that's that's fine. There, there's always somebody who will work with those people. Mm-hmm. There's always someone who will work within their budget. But unless you want to be, I mean, there's an example that I show in the book about a book that I read when I very first started out 20 odd years ago. And I loved this little tiny anecdotal example so much that I have really kept it in mind ever since. It was about a woman who was so, so busy with her work. She never had time to work on her business. She never had time to be proactive 
and um, she was constantly reacting to her to her clients and firefighting. Mm. And these consultants, experts, whatever you want to call them, came in and said, "Look, double your rates." <laughs> and she said, "Oh, I can't do that. What 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 if I lose?" what if I lose half my clients? Mm -hmm. And they said, well, think about it. If you lose half your clients, you're still going to be earning the same, but you're going to be half as busy and you're going to have twice as much time. And I just think that is such a powerful example. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, completely. And uh, this is a conversation I'm glad that to hear, you know, you're normalizing it, but it needs to be more, more and more people normalizing it too. Definitely. Yeah. Yeah. So um, to shift back a little bit to something we've already touched on uh, earlier about um, finding a community, uh, most of us work alone. Often, you know, translators work by themselves. They may work with an editor or, you know, with a small team, but most of us do work alone. And although a lot of translators do really like that, um, there are situations when you can feel alone and isolated. And I think a lot of people saw that, especially um, in the past year and a half. Mm -hmm. So... Yeah. And so what are the benefits of finding a community as a solo worker? And what tips do you have for finding the right community for you? It's just so vital. It's There's a reason why it's the first chapter in the book. And, mm. it, and that is because I, I think it's not just that we feel lonely. It is also, it also comes down to that fact that all this stuff that we've already talked about, the isolation, lack of boundaries, imposter syndrome, all these things, knowing what to charge, you you can often feel like you're operating in an echo chamber. You've got no <laughs> sense checking. Mm -hmm. If you've got nobody around you that you can kind of pick up the phone and go, oh, I'm having such a bad day. Just talk me out of this because everybody gets the bad days. So everybody needs, however, uh, however self-reliant, independent, introverted, whatever you want to call it, everybody needs people that they can share the frustrations and the challenges of freelance life but also the successes and the wins mm -hmm. because sometimes it's just something as simple as you you start work on Monday morning and you've got no one there to say hey how was your weekend you know did you see this week's dancing with the stars or whatever <laughs> you know you need we, we yeah. need people to kind of talk about day-to-day -day stuff so um, particularly, yeah, when we're working from home and working alone, it can be really common that people do feel that they've got nobody who understands what they're going through. Mm -hmm. And that's why what you were saying earlier, Veronica, about um, why community ranks over competition every single time. So you can, it's, it's your choice how you look at the people who do the same job as you. You can see them as being your competition and you can then close off towards them and by doing so it's kind of operating from a place of fear which is never a nice place to be in anyway but what you're doing is closing yourself off potentially to great opportunities because those people know what you're going through those people have been there I mean whether they're less or more experienced than you everybody has something to bring to the table mm -hmm. so by I, I just think 
I get the sense, not even being a translator or an interpreter, I get the sense that you guys already have a fantastic community within um, the the work that you do. Um, mm-hmm. I don't know whether you use. I, I usually recommend things like Facebook groups, Twitter chats. I'm mm-hmm. doing another Twitter chat for the ITI in uh, November, by the way. Um, oh, and things like Slack groups and WhatsApp groups. I mean, if you have, say, half a dozen people who do the same job as you, who you know, but you don't know especially well, why not suggest setting up a WhatsApp group like mm-hmm. I've done with my copywriter colleagues? Because it's it's fantastic in terms of when you get a project in that you'd love to take on, but it, you know it's too big for just one person. You've got those people who you know you trust, you know their experience, you know where their complementary skills lie, and you can buddy up with them and offer to do the job as a team. So yeah, I, I think that's super helpful. But one thing that's really important in terms of when you do find, if you find a community, particularly online, you've got to approach it. This is so vital. You've got to approach it with the right mindset. Because if you join, say, a Facebook group and you are in it for what can I get out of this? What, you know, mm-hmm. uh, maybe I'll meet new clients, but what what am I going to get out of this? Mm-hmm. So, you know, bring on the advice, bring on the support. You've got to give it before you can take it. So be prepared to show up as being somebody who's knowledgeable, helpful, expert, friendly, warm, caring. All the, the human qualities that can be overlooked in business and, and really they they absolutely should not be because it's so vital so you can give and get support advice collaboration understanding sharing all those things and just you you just get more fulfillment and more fun as a result of being part of a community yes i think that's true and i think that that's not often not talked about enough as well yeah yeah um so sarah Switching gears a little bit, um, if you could suggest any tools or resources that would help freelancers feel more professional or efficient and productive, what would those be? For this question, I've kind of taken that to be tools in terms of pieces of software, apps, that kind of thing. So I've got a few examples that rather than going into any of the examples in any detail, I'll just kind of mention them just with a really quick summary. So Mm -hmm. some of the tools that I use and just a very quick snippet as to what I use them for. um, I have tried to phase out almost, including my mobile phone number in my marketing and, and my I think even on my website, it may still be there on my website, um, mm. because I don't deal well with interruptions, unplanned phone calls. So I would far rather talk to somebody when I'm prepared to talk to them. I've got com- time that's completely focused for them, and I'm, um, you know, they have my undivided attention. Mm-hmm. So I try to encourage people to book discovery calls and I use Calendly. So that's my scheduler tool. There are other scheduler tools out there. There mm-hmm. are other, all of these things, okay? So that's just going to go without saying for all of them. So I use Calendly for scheduling and that is brilliantly easy to use and has been a real game changer in my business over the past mm-hmm. couple of years. I use Canva. Oh, I don't know how I managed without Canva before for producing 
graphics. I've just done a new proposal document on Canva, whereas I used to use InDesign for that and it was clunky and it was slow. And Mm -hmm. yeah, so that's really changed things up a gear for me. For organization and project management and just keeping track of my lists upon lists upon lists, I (laughs) use Trello. I love Trello. Multiple boards on there. For managing the Pomodoro technique, I use an app. I'm not sure if you have this um, over in the States, but I use an app called Focus Keeper. I think it's mm. free here in the UK. Okay. Um, and it's it's designed for the Pomodoro technique. So rather than being just a timer, I mean, you can always just use the timer on your phone if you want to try out the Pomodoro. But the, the Focus Keeper app will time you for 25 minutes. Then it'll tell you it's a five minute break. It'll time the five minute break. And then it'll be like, right back to it (laughs) 25 minutes again and then the idea with Pomodoro is that you are supposed to do four 25 minute stints and then you take a longer break after the fourth one so that app will keep track of the length of the breaks so that's really handy Mm -hmm. and um oh the Mm. the biggest most underused tool helper whatever you want to call it for any Body who runs a business or anybody who does anything, frankly, t- for me is text replacement. I use a tool on my laptop called Text Expander, and I have thousands of URLs, phone numbers, things like my my VAT number, my um, membership numbers, entire chunks of paragraphs of entire emails. it's just brilliant so Mm. um yeah that's worth looking into and I think text expander is a paid app it's ridiculously affordable for what it is I'm not getting paid by any of these by the way um (laughs) but on my phone I probably have I think every um cell phone has the facility to 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 set shortcut codes and when you type in the shortcut it fills something so if you're not using that you are missing a trick big time it saves me so much time and it's just a total godsend love Mm -hmm. it cool those are all wonderful um so finally we wanted to talk to you about work-life clarity which is the term we uh, heard originally from melanie Paget powers we know you were on her yeah, podcast as well I the was. deliberate freelancer we love her podcast and we we heard it there and we love that she um uh, used it rather than work-life balance which can be so misleading um, so we also think that work-life clarity is extremely important for freelance language professionals. What are your thoughts on this and how do you try to protect the boundaries between your work and personal life? I love that expression, can I just say, and I hadn't come, yeah. I also love um, Melanie's podcast, but I hadn't come across that expression before and I listened to that episode to see what it was all about. Mm. Um, yeah, it, it, it's, it, it can be so difficult because we tend to become freelance because we have this thing that we we love what we do and we want to share our skill our kind of superpower ability with the world and solve people's problems with Mm -hmm. that and when you love what you do sometimes it's I, I, I think I touched on this earlier on but I find often when I'm writing because I get so focused on what I'm doing that I forget to to stop I forget to take breaks mm-hmm. so I really relate to this as an issue I I tried to talk about work-life balance but yeah there's not really a thing it's not really a thing because I think the main thing is boundaries really so work-life balance 
is tricky, if not impossible, to maintain when you're freelance. I mean, I'll be doing things, quite often I'll pick up messages on LinkedIn at 10 o'clock at night, or I'll be posting on Instagram, which is sort of business related, Mm -hmm. and responding to comments late into the evening. But for me, that doesn't feel like work. Mm -hmm. But what I think we've got to recognise is that it is, it really is. Mm -hmm. And I think it's probably something that I still need to work on getting better at all the time. It could be a good idea to have certain times of day, set times of day that you're just okay. I mean, my my phone, I have a lack of um, impulse control when it comes to my phone. It's like my addiction. I, I think, oh, I'll just leave it. So it's lovely now because it's on airplane while I'm recording and chatting to you two. Um, <laughs> but it it... I just, I'm instinctively picking it up all the time. So um, if you can perhaps say, oh, and actually this ties in really nicely with your next question because at the start of the year, my partner and I were both saying, oh gosh, you know, we both really enjoy reading. And particularly because I'd spent so much of last year writing and promoting the book, I think I I read about six, five, six books last year. Mm -hmm. and we both agreed not a new year's resolution exactly but more just a a tiny habit shift that we wanted to start reading an actual physical book half an hour at the start of every day and half an hour at the end of every day Mm. and as a result of that small habit shift I'm reading Brené Brown Daring Greatly no the other one yes Daring Greatly Uh, (laughs) it's obviously (laughs) really stuck in my mind it's it's a brilliant book um but I think doing that is really important because for me my my alarm is on my phone so Mm -hmm. my alarm goes off in the morning I pick up my phone my instinct is it's 6 30 7 a.m whatever time I'm waking up my instinct is go onto social media check your social media check your emails Mm. but there's a guy called Jim Quick who is I think he describes himself as something like a mind coach rather than a physical coach and he talks about not letting other people set the agenda for your day and I love that I think that's so important so if you set yourself a goal something that you want to achieve before you do anything else before you check your email what's the one thing that you want to get done that you're you must do task for that day and get that done before you even look at your emails because you know full well if you read your emails you're going to suddenly think oh no oh I need to do this and actually it probably can wait an hour or half an hour or two hours or whatever whatever time you need. So I think sometimes the smallest habit shifts can make a really big difference. Yeah, I think that's true. It's something I haven't nailed, that's for sure. But, but it's yeah. something that I think you really need to be super aware of because it's very hard to recognise being close to burnout. And mm-hmm. it's really easy as a freelancer for day-to-day stresses to pile up and to become overwhelmed and then for that to lead to burnout. And if you crash and burn as a freelancer, you have no business left. So that's what we're always aiming to protect against. Yeah, definitely. And I think that's an awesome way to end this episode. I'm really happy to to hear hear you saying that because I think that's another thing that um, we often think, oh, you know, I can just set some boundaries and then I'll be good to go. But it really is an ongoing thing to, to have to work on. It doesn't just mm. stop there. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Well, thanks so much for these great tips, Sarah. 
Um, before we wrap up, we'd love it if you'd join us for a special segment. We'd like to ask our guests to share something with our listeners about a favorite book, gadget, or resource, and we call this segment Guest Favorites. So is there anything that you'd like to recommend? <laughs> my 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 focus on this, I, I just keep having a million different ideas and it's changing every second. Um, I've, I've just noticed that you said gadget. So I'm going to completely change. Mm-hmm. I was going to recommend a book, um, which maybe I'll still do, is Stephen King on writing. It's oh, yes. brilliant, absolutely brilliant book. Mm-hmm. Oh, so good. The most tweetable book I think I've ever read. Mm-hmm. But I also have a gadget and it's a little bit random, but particularly brilliant for freelancers who are working from home and who, if you're anything like me, are not the best at um, making sure that you eat properly during the day when you're, mm. when you're on a deadline particularly. So I invested um, about £40 in the UK um, to buy a soup maker. And honestly, it's brilliant. It's just a jug. It's like a giant kettle. You chuck mm. all the ingredients in mm. with some stock and you press a button and it cooks the soup and it blends the soup. And if oh. I do that before I start work in the morning, by the time it gets to lunchtime, the soup is still warm and I can just pour it out of my soup jug and yeah, there we go. So that was not at all what I was planning on saying, <laughs> but just popped into my head. Yeah, that's a good one. That's brilliant. Thank you so much for joining us today, Sarah. We really enjoyed talking to you and I'm sure that our listeners will find your tips very helpful as well. And before we go, where can our colleagues learn more about you or find you online? I would say the best place to go is head on over to survivalskillsforfreelancers.com. That is where you can um, find out more about the book. You can link to my copywriting website. You can connect with me on social media and... I've actually, am allowed to mention about my special offer? Sure. Absolutely. Yeah. So I've actually um, arranged for a sample chapter, created a little download of a sample chapter of the book, which contains some of the sort of freelance fundamentals. It's not going into the the eight myths that I bust, but um, that's something that if anybody who's listening would like to find out a little bit more about um, Survival Skills for Freelancers, um, just scroll on down to the bottom of that page, survivalskillsforfreelancers.com, and you can download the free sample chapter. Yes, perfect. And we'll put the uh, link to your website and to this in our show notes as well. Fantastic. Can I just say also, actually, if anybody has listened and would like to connect with me, do drop me a little personalized note on LinkedIn or whatever, because I love to know where people have come from. And it would be great to know that you found me through um, this podcast. Yeah, definitely. Good. We'll link to um, your your LinkedIn uh, profile as well. So thanks again for joining us, Sarah. It's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you for having me. Thanks. Thank you. And that's it for this episode. Next week, our email subscribers will get a summary of the episode with all the links to the resources we mentioned today, including um, Sarah's website and a link to the free chapter that she's offering. So if you're not receiving our emails yet, please sign up on our website, smarthabitsfortranslators.com. And if you like this episode, there are a couple of simple ways you can show your support. Please follow our podcast, share it with your colleagues and friends, and leave us a review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. This only takes a minute, and we have recorded a quick video tutorial to show you how to do it. We'll link to it in the show notes. Talk to you soon. We hope you enjoyed this episode and discovered some simple strategies that you can apply today at work or at home to help you achieve the lifestyle you desire. If you did, please let us know. We'd love to hear from you. 
If you have a topic you want us to cover, please send us a message at hello at smarthabitsfortranslators.com. If you like this episode, we'd appreciate if you'd leave us a review wherever you listen to podcasts. And please share the podcast with other translators you know. 